Chapter Ten of Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter Ten: Narrative of Allan Fairford. The reader ought by this time to have formed some idea of the character of Allan Fairford. He had a warmth of heart which the study of law and of the world could not chill and talents which they had rendered unusually acute deprived of the personal patronage enjoyed by most of his contemporaries who assumed the gown under the protection of their aristocratic alliances and descents he early saw that he should have that to achieve for himself which fell to them as a right of birth he laboured hard in silence and solitude and his labours were crowned with success but allan doted on his friend darcy even more than he loved his profession and as we have seen threw everything aside when he thought latimer in danger forgetting fame and fortune and hazarding even the serious displeasure of his father to rescue him whom he loved with an elder brother's affection darcy though his parts were more quick and brilliant than those of his friend seemed always to the latter a being under his peculiar charge whom he was called upon to cherish and protect in cases where the youth's own experience was unequal to the exigency and now when the fate of latimer seeming worse than doubtful allan's whole prudence and energy were to be exerted in his behalf an adventure which might have seemed perilous to most youths of his age had no terrors for him he was well acquainted with the laws of his country and knew how to appeal to them and besides his professional confidence his natural disposition was steady sedate persevering and undaunted with these requisites he undertook a quest which at the time was not unattended with actual danger and had much in it to appall a more timid disposition fairford's first inquiry concerning his friend was of the chief magistrate of dumfries provost crosby who had sent the information of darcy's disappearance on his first application he thought he discerned in the honest dignitary a desire to get rid of the subject the provost spoke of the riot at the fishing-station as an outbreak among those lawless loons the fishermen which concerned the sheriff he said more than us poor town council bodies that have enough to do to keep peace within burg amongst such a set of commoners as the town are plagued with but this is not all provost crosby said mr allan fairford a young gentleman of rank and fortune has disappeared amongst their hands you know him my father gave him a letter to you mr darcy latimer lack a day yes lack a day yes said the provost mr darcy latimer he dined at my house i hope he is well 
i hope so too said allan rather indignantly but i desire more certainty on that point you yourself wrote my father that he had disappeared troth yes and that is true said the provost but did he not go back to his friends in scotland it was not natural to think he would stay here not unless he is under restraint said fairford surprised at the coolness with which the provost seemed to take up the matter rely on it sir said mr crosby that if he has not returned to his friends in scotland he must have gone to his friends in england i will rely on no such thing said allan if there is law or justice in scotland i will have the thing cleared to the very bottom reasonable reasonable said the provost so far as is possible but you know i have no power beyond the ports of the burg but you are in the commission besides mr crosby a justice of peace for the county true very true that is said the cautious magistrate i will not say but my name may stand on the list but i cannot remember that i have ever qualified by taking the oaths to government why in that case said young fairford there are ill-natured people might doubt your attachment to the protestant line mr crosby god forbid mr fairford i who have done and suffered in the forty-five i reckon the highland men did me damage to the amount of one hundred pounds scots forby all they ate and drank no no sir i stand beyond challenge but as for plaguing myself with county business let them that ought the mayor shoe the mayor the commissioners of supply would see my back broken before they would help me in the burg's work and all the world kens the difference of the weight between public business in burg and landward what are their riots to me have we not riots enough of our own but i must be getting ready for the council meets this forenoon i am blithe to see your father's son on the causeway of our ancient burg mr allan fairford were you a twelvemonth older we would make a burgess of you man i hope you will come and dine with me before you go away what think you of to-day at two o'clock just a roasted chucky and a drapid egg allan fairford resolved that his friend's hospitality should not as it seemed the inviter intended put a stop to his queries i must delay you for a moment he said mr crosby this is a serious affair a young gentleman of high hopes my own dearest friend is missing you cannot think it will be passed over slightly if a man of your high character and known zeal for the government do not make some active inquiry mr crosby you are my father's friend and i respect you as such but to others it will have a bad appearance the withers of the provost were not unwrung he paced the room in much tribulation repeating but what can i do mr fairford i warrant your friend casts up again he will come back again like the ill shilling 
he is not the sort of gear that tines a helicat boy running through the country with a blind fiddler and playing the fiddle to a parcel of blackguards who can tell where the like of him may have scampered to there are persons apprehended and in the jail of the town as i understand from the sheriff's substitute said mr fairford you must call them before you and inquire what they know of this young gentleman ay ay the sheriff depute did commit some poor creatures i believe wretched ignorant fishermen bodies that had been quarrelling with quaker gettys and his stake-nuts whilk under favour of your gown be it spoken mr fairford are not over and above lawful and the town clerk thinks that they may be lawfully removed via facti but that is by the by but sir the creatures were all dismissed for want of evidence the quaker would not swear to them and what could the sheriff and me do but just let them loose come away cheer up master allan and take a walk till dinner-time i must really go to the council stop a moment provost said allan i lodge a complaint before you as a magistrate and you will find it serious to slide it over you must have these men apprehended again ay ay easy said but catch them that can answered the provost they are over the march by this time or by the point of Karen. lord help ye they are a kind of amphibious devils neither land nor water beasts neither english nor scots neither county nor stewartry as we say they are dispersed like so much quicksilver you may as well try to whistle a slough out of the solway as to get hold of one of them till the fray is over mr crosby this will not do answered the young counsellor there is a person of more importance than such wretches as you describe concerned in this unhappy business i must name to you a certain mr harry's he kept his eye on the provost as he uttered the name which he did rather at a venture and from the connection which that gentleman and his real or supposed niece seemed to have with the fate of darcy latimer than from any distinct cause of suspicion which he entertained he thought the provost seemed embarrassed though he showed much desire to assume an appearance of indifference in which he partly succeeded harry's he said what harry's there are many of that name not so many as formerly for the old stocks are wearing out but there is harry's of heathgill and harry's of auchentulloch and harry's to save you further trouble this person's designation is harry's of burnswork of burnswork said mr crosby i have you now mr allan could you not as well have said the laird of red gauntlet fairford was too wary to testify any surprise at this identification of names however unexpected i thought said he he was more generally known by the name of harry's i have seen and been in company with him under that name i am sure 
oh i in edinburgh belike you know redgauntlet was unfortunate a great while ago and though he was maybe not deeper in the mire than other folk yet for some reason or other he did not get so easily out he was attainted i understand and has no remission said fairford the cautious provost only nodded and said you may guess therefore why it is so convenient he should hold his mother's name which is also partly his own when he is about edinburgh to bear his proper name might be accounted a kind of flying in the face of government ye understand but he has been long connived at the story is an old story and the gentleman has many excellent qualities and is of a very ancient and honourable house has cousins among the great folk counts kin with the advocate and with the sheriff hawks you know mr allan will not pike out hawks e'en he is widely connected my wife is a fourth cousin of red gauntlets hink ille lacrime thought allan fairford to himself but the hint presently determined him to proceed by soft means and with caution i beg you to understand said fairford that in the investigation i am about to make i design no harm to mr harry's or red gauntlet call him what you will all i wish is to ascertain the safety of my friend i know that he was rather foolish in once going upon a mere frolic in disguise to the neighbourhood of this same gentleman's house in his circumstances mr redgauntlet may have misinterpreted the motives and considered darcy latimer as a spy his influence i believe is great among the disorderly people you spoke of but now the provost answered with another sagacious shake of his head that would have done honour to lord burleigh in the critic well then continued fairford is it not possible that in the mistaken belief that mr latimer was a spy he may upon such suspicion have caused him to be carried off and confined somewhere such things are done at elections and on occasions less pressing than when men think their lives are in danger from an informer mr fairford said the provost very earnestly i scarce think such a mistake possible or if by any extraordinary chance it should have taken place red gauntlet whom i cannot but know well being as i have said my wife's first cousin fourth cousin i should say is altogether incapable of doing anything harsh to the young gentleman he might send him over to alsay for a night or two or maybe land him on the north coast of ireland or in islay or some of the hebrides but depend upon it he is incapable of harming a hair of his head i am determined not to trust to that provost answered fairford firmly and i am a good deal surprised at your way of talking so lightly of such an aggression on the liberty of the subject you are to consider and mr harry's or mr redgauntlet's friends would do very well also to consider 
how it would sound in the ears of an english secretary of state that an attainted traitor for such is this gentleman has not only ventured to take up his abode in this realm against the king of which he has been in arms but is suspected of having proceeded by open force and violence against the person of one of the lieges a young man who is neither without friends nor property to secure his being righted the provost looked at the young counsellor with a face in which distrust alarm and vexation seemed mingled a fascious job he said at last a fascious job and it will be dangerous meddling with it i should like ill to see your father's son turn informer against an unfortunate gentleman neither do i mean it answered ellen provided that unfortunate gentleman and his friends give me a quiet opportunity of securing my friend's safety if i could speak with mr redgauntlet and hear his own explanation i should probably be satisfied if i am forced to denounce him to government it will be in his new capacity of a kidnapper i may not be able nor is it my business to prevent his being recognized in his former character of an attainted person accepted from the general pardon master fairford said the provost would ye ruin the poor innocent gentleman on an idle suspicion say no more of it mr crosby my line of conduct is determined unless that suspicion is removed well sir said the provost since so it be and since you say that you do not seek to harm red gauntlet personally i'll ask a man to dine with us to-day that cans as much about his matters as most folk you must think mr allan fairford though red gauntlet be my wife's near relative and though doubtless i wish him well yet i am not the person who is like to be entrusted with his incomings and outgoings i am not a man for that i keep the kirk and i abhor popery i have stood up for the house of hanover and for liberty and property i carried arms sir against the pretender when three of the highlandmen's baggage carts were stopped at ecclefacken and i had an especial loss of a hundred pounds scots interrupted fairford you forget you told me all this before scots or english it was too much for me to lose said the provost so you see i am not a person to pack or peel with jacobites and such unfree men as poor red gauntlet granted granted mr crosby and what then said allan fairford why then it follows that if i am to help you at this pinch it cannot be by and through my own personal knowledge but through some fitting agent or third person granted again said fairford and who may this third person be why but pate maxwell of summertrees him they call pate in peril an old forty-five man of course said fairford ye may swear that replied the provost as black a jacobite as the old leaven can make him 
but a sunsy merry companion that none of us think is worth while to break with for all his brags and his clavers you would have thought if he had had but his own way at derby he would have marched charlie stuart through between wade and the duke as a thread goes through the needle's eye and seated him in st james's before you could have said hold your hand but though he is a windy body when he gets on his old world stories he has more gumption in him than most people knows business mr allen being bred to the law but never took the gown because of the oaths which kept more folk out then than they do now the more's the pity what are you sorry provost that jacobitism is upon the decline said fairford no no answered the provost i am only sorry for folks losing the tenderness of conscience which they used to have i have a son breeding to the bar mr fairford and no doubt considering my services and sufferings i might have looked for some bit posty to him but if the muckle tykes come in i mean all these maxwells and johnstones and great lairds that the oath used to keep out lang syne the bits of mess and doggies like my son and maybe like your father's son mr allan will be sore put to the wall but to return to the subject mr crosby said fairford do you really think it likely that this mr maxwell will be of service in this matter it's very like he may be for he is the tongue of the trump to the whole squad of them said the provost and red gauntlet though he will not stick at times to call him a fool takes more of his counsel than any man's else that i am aware of if fate can bring him to a communing the business is done he's a sharp shield pate in peril pate in peril repeated allan a very singular name ay and it was in as queer a way he got it but i'll say nothing about that said the provost for fear of forestalling his market for ye are sure to hear it once at least however oftener before the punch-bowl gives place to the teapot and now fare ye well for there is the council bell clinking in earnest and if i am not there before it jows in bailey larry will be trying some of his manoeuvres the provost repeating his expectation of seeing mr fairford at two o'clock at length effected his escape from the young counsellor and left him at a considerable loss how to proceed the sheriff it seems had returned to edinburgh and he feared to find the visible repugnance of the provost to interfere with this laird of burns work or red gauntlet much stronger amongst the country gentlemen many of whom were catholics as well as jacobites and most others unwilling to quarrel with kinsmen and friends by prosecuting with severity political offences which had almost run a prescription to collect all the information in his power and not to have recourse to the higher authorities until he could give all the light of which the case was capable seemed the wiser proceeding 
in a choice of difficulties he had some conversation with the procurator fiscal who as well as the provost was an old correspondent of his father allan expressed to that officer a purpose of visiting brokenburn but was assured by him that it would be a step attended with much danger to his own person and altogether fruitless that the individuals who had been ringleaders in the riot were long since safely sheltered in their various lurking-holes in the isle of man cumberland and elsewhere and that those who might remain would undoubtedly commit violence on any who visited their settlement with the purpose of inquiring into the late disturbances there were not the same objections to his hastening to mount sharon where he expected to find the latest news of his friend and there was time enough to do so before the hour appointed for the provost's dinner upon the road he congratulated himself on having obtained one point of almost certain information the person who had in a manner forced himself upon his father's hospitality and had appeared desirous to induce darcy latimer to visit england against whom too a sort of warning had been received from an individual connected with and residing in his own family proved to be a promoter of the disturbance in which darcy had disappeared what could be the cause of such an attempt on the liberty of an inoffensive and amiable man it was impossible it could be merely owing to red gauntlets mistaking darcy for a spy for though that was the solution which fairford had offered to the provost he well knew that in point of fact he himself had been warned by his singular visitor of some danger to which his friend was exposed before such suspicion could have been entertained and the injunctions received by latimer from his guardian or him who acted as such mr griffiths of london pointed to the same thing he was rather glad however that he had not let provost crosby into his secret further than was absolutely necessary since it was plain that the connection of his wife with the suspected party was likely to affect his impartiality as a magistrate when allan fairford arrived at mount sharon rachel geddes hastened to meet him almost before the servant could open the door she drew back in disappointment when she beheld a stranger and said to excuse her precipitation that she had thought it was her brother joshua returned from cumberland mr geddes is then absent from home said fairford much disappointed in his turn he hath been gone since yesterday friend answered rachel once more composed to the quietude which characterizes her sect but her pale cheek and red eye giving contradiction to her assumed equanimity i am said fairford hastily the particular friend of a young man not unknown to you miss geddes the friend of darcy latimer and am come hither in the utmost anxiety having understood from provost crosby that he had disappeared in the night when a destructive attack was made upon the fishing-station of mr geddes 
thou dost afflict me friend by thy inquiries said rachel more affected than before for although the youth was like those of the worldly generation wise in his own conceit and likely to be moved by the breath of vanity yet joshua loved him and his heart clave to him as if he had been his own son and when he himself escaped from the sons of belial which was not until they had tired themselves with reviling and with idle reproach and the jests of the scoffer joshua my brother returned to them once and again to give ransom for the youth called darcy latimer with offers of money and with promise of remission but they would not hearken to him also he went before the head judge whom men call the sheriff and would have told him of the youth's peril but he would in no way hearken to him unless he would swear unto the truth of his words which thing he might not do without sin seeing it is written swear not at all also that our conversation shall be yea or nay therefore joshua returned to me disconsolate and said sister rachel this youth hath run into peril for my sake assuredly i shall not be guiltless if a hair of his head be harmed seeing i have sinned in permitting him to go with me to the fishing station when such evil was to be feared therefore i will take my horse even solomon and ride swiftly into cumberland and i will make myself friends with mammon of unrighteousness among the magistrates of the gentiles and among their mighty men and it shall come to pass that darcy latimer shall be delivered even if it were at the expense of half my substance and i said nay my brother go not for they will but scoff at and revile thee but hire with thy silver one of the scribes who are eager as hunters in pursuing their prey and he shall free darcy latimer from the men of violence by his cunning and thy soul shall be guiltless of evil towards the lad but he answered and said i will not be controlled in this matter and he is gone forth and hath not returned and i fear me that he may never return for though he be peaceful as becometh one who holds all violence as offence against his own soul yet neither the floods of water nor the fear of the snare nor the drawn sword of the adversary brandished in the path will overcome his purpose wherefore the solway may swallow him up or the sword of the enemy may devour him nevertheless my hope is better in him who directeth all things and ruleth over the waves of the sea and overruleth the devices of the wicked and who can redeem us even as a bird from the fowler's net this was all that fairford could learn from miss geddes but he heard with pleasure that the good quaker her brother had many friends among those of his own profession in cumberland and without exposing himself to so much danger as his sister seemed to apprehend he trusted he might be able to discover some traces of darcy latimer he himself rode back to dumfries 
having left with miss geddes his direction in that place and an earnest request that she would forward thither whatever information she might obtain from her brother on fairford's return to dumfries he employed the brief interval which remained before dinner-time in writing an account of what had befallen latimer and of the present uncertainty of his condition to mr samuel griffiths through whose hands the remittances for his friend's service had been regularly made desiring he would instantly acquaint him with such parts of his history as might direct him in the search which he was about to institute through the border counties and which he pledged himself not to give up until he had obtained news of his friend alive or dead the young lawyer's mind felt easier when he had dispatched this letter he could not conceive any reason why his friend's life should be aimed at he knew darcy had done nothing by which his liberty could be legally affected and although even of late years there had been singular histories of men and women also who had been trepanned and concealed in solitudes and distant islands in order to serve some temporary purpose such violences had been chiefly practised by the rich on the poor and by the strong on the feeble whereas in the present case this mr harry's or red gauntlet being amenable for more reasons than one to the censure of the law must be the weakest in any struggle in which it could be appealed to it is true that his friendly anxiety whispered that the very cause which rendered this oppressor less formidable might make him more desperate still recalling his language so strikingly that of the gentleman and even of the man of honour allan fairford concluded that though in his feudal pride red gauntlet might venture on the deeds of violence exercised by the aristocracy in other times he could not be capable of any action of deliberate atrocity and in these convictions he went to dine with provost crosby with a heart more at ease than might have been expected End of chapter ten